You are listening to Aim for the Bushes. I'm your podcast person, Pablo, also known as Pav, also known as J-Pav, also known as Pavi. And once again, it is just me today, no Maggie the Mags, because of the current ongoing pandemic situation that we find ourselves in in this year called 2020. So because of that, everything is being done separately in terms of our recording. Today's episode, what are we talking about? We're talking about truthiness again if you did not read the episode title or description shame on you You should read them i put a lot of work into those but i'm telling you now so no matter it's all good but yes truthiness before we get into that subject our non-legal legal disclaimer which is simply that the opinions offered by myself or any other guest podcast people on this show is just that our opinions So you can feel free to agree with us. You can feel free to disagree with us. We are not saying that we are the single source of ultimate truth or that only our views and opinions are the correct ones. There exists multiple opinions and viewpoints on things. So we acknowledge that. And I and I'm sure others are also open to other views on certain subjects. Now, with that out of the way, truthiness. If you're not familiar with that word, then I guess you're not a fan of Stephen Colbert. Because he's the one who came up with it on the first episode of the Colbert Rapport back in 2005 in the very first segment of the show called The Word. And increasingly I feel that this word truthiness very well encapsulates what is going on in the current world. So even though it's from 2005, which is roughly 15 years ago, if I did my quick maths properly there, uh, it's, it's more relevant than I would have thought when I first watched this so long ago. But I find myself coming back to the idea of truthiness, which we'll get into in a second in terms of what the actual definition is, if this is something you have not heard before or did not watch the Colbert Report or anything like that. And so, yeah, so I think this, uh, like greatly foreshadowed the future kind of like politics and our like current discourse, which is why it's like, like I said, it's been on my mind, uh, more and more frequently as I watch, uh, events unfold, uh, this year, not exclusively this year within the last, you know, couple of years, I guess, ever since someone like Trump became president. I mean, it existed before, before the, 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 the term itself was coined, but certainly since it, it, it's uh, inception there. What is truthiness? Truthiness, and this is directly from, uh, like I said, that first opening segment of the premiere show of the Colbert Report, this is a direct quote, this is believing something that feels true even if it isn't supported by fact. So it's more about thinking with your heart or going with your gut than what's in your brain or what's written down as facts or something that comes from a reputable source. Now think about that for a second. That is something that is all around us in terms of like where we get like information from like various news media sources, right? We have all this, all these like little sites and Facebook posts and Twitter posts all purporting to be telling us the truth. And that's like the appeal from these like smaller or outsider appealing either websites, blogs, uh, they could be news organizations. I put news in quotations there, although you can't see because it's an audio format, you know, tweets, like I said, Facebook posts, people sharing their opinion could come from people who host podcasts, YouTube videos, right? It's like things that people will turn to, to find like what they consider to be the real 
story. This is something that I was introduced to, like this word from that first episode, but when I think later on with things I didn't connect to, because like this wasn't always on my mind, it is something that come about has come about later on, like I said, more recently within the last like four or five years. But even before that, there are certain things where like when I think back now, I realize, oh, this was kind of like the start of where we are at now. So for example, okay, back in university, I did a project uh, that was related to my program. So you had this big end of term project that you had to do in several different classes that related to the program that you're studying overall. So one component of the class would be dedicated to this term long project and that would make up part of your grade or whatever, right? So in an English class that I was taking, part of my grade, like I said, was part of this larger project. So I had to basically just do a presentation that related to some aspect of my program. I was in sciences at the time, so I had to do something related to sciences. So this was about 10 years ago now, I guess. And, you know, you had Twitter, you had Facebook, but they weren't used in the same way that they're used now. So my project was on vaccines, although I wasn't like in medical sciences, but it was science related. So I'm okay, vaccines, but anti-vaxxers although i don't think they had that name back then maybe they did i can't remember but anti-vaxxers right so people who believe that vaccines are harmful or that they cause autism in children and you know you had someone like jenny mccarthy championing that idea amongst you know other peoples so i basically for my presentation i had a couple of sites that varied on their scale of reputability in terms of covering this subject so one of them would be like a more traditional looking website or news site that would talk about like i said how vaccines cause all these issues and why we shouldn't have uh, vaccines or we shouldn't give our kids vaccines or get our kids vaccinated and then there was like another website that looked a little bit more sketchy not as professional and clean looking and then there was like a third website that looked like someone did like on geocities if anyone remembers what geocities is okay it wasn't exactly as bad as that but it looked pretty homemade if you went on this website you would not think this was made by like some kind of powerful or reputable organization it looked like someone did like in five minutes kind of thing or someone with no experience in website design that's what it looked like and part of my presentation was that these lower end websites that look like very sketch like hey i wouldn't trust the information on here the very fact that they look like that the very fact that they have that aesthetic to some people will indicate i'm getting the real news, right? What I watch on like ABC or like Fox or CNN or like, you know, the Globe and Mail or USA Today, Washington Post, whatever, they're not going to give me this true story because they're all like, you know, huge multinational corporations. This little tiny scuzzy looking website, they're going to give me the real information. And I didn't realize at the time how powerful that type of aesthetic that type of look would end up being you know later on down the line and so part of our evaluation for this presentation was we were evaluated by people in the class and so they would give you a mark out of whatever and write comments and then so when i was reading through the comments that some people had left one of them i don't remember most of them but i remember one that stuck with me because i was like you missed the entire point of what i was saying but one of the comments basically was like 
in response to one of the websites I presented, someone said, well, yeah, these one of the websites or two of the websites that you showed don't really look reputable. So like you shouldn't have used them kind of thing. And I'm like, you missed the entire point. My point was that these appeal to people because they don't look reputable. And I know that sounds kind of counterintuitive when you think about it. You think, oh, wait, why would I go to this website? It looks like somebody made like in five minutes over, you know, like CNN, for example, an article on CNN. And I'm like, that's the point. You would think that, oh, I would disregard this sketchy website and go with something that is like trusted, quote unquote trusted, because I mean, CNN and other large news organizations have their problems, which we'll get into in a second. But just on the outset, uh, first impressions, you know, I'm like, I'm not going to pay attention to you, SCSI website. I'm like, that was the point. And now here we are in like 2020. And like I said, this isn't the first time this problem has existed. It's, it's been around for like a while. It's just changed like, you know, different medium or different media. But it's there. Is there in how the presentation is in terms of what people want to believe. And this, this is how it comes back to truthiness is that the people that go on that website is not because the, these websites provide facts. Now, based on however sketchy a website looks, if what's written there is true or not is like, you know, it's either true or it isn't true. It's full of good information or it's full of bad information. That's not really important to design of course it looks better it looks nice but you could have a very well done professional looking website looks reputable something you could point at and say yeah this looks legit and it can be full of shit just the same so my point here isn't just based on looks exclusively but it can help so you don't need to have the slick looking website for people to take what you say seriously just like for some youtube videos just as an example, bring it closer into modern day, you have some videos where there's really good production. You know, the quality of the production is like top notch. It has like good cameras, good lighting, you know, good editing, nice music. It's got like little animations that play, nice scene transition, music transitions, right? All that. The person in front looks good. I don't mean necessarily like in terms of of their attractiveness, but I just mean in terms of the presentation, right? They could be dressed very nicely, hair done, makeup done. They look presentable, basically what I'm trying to say. And that could do very well, or it could not do very well. And then, uh, and, and then, oh yeah, also like a uh, studio space, because some, some people have like studios where they film out of, but then at the same token, or by the same time, or at the same time, you could have someone who has none of that, uh, it's done like in my basement or like in my bedroom or in my kitchen. I don't know. Right. One camera on a tripod, shitty quality, shitty lights. I don't have any lights. Actually, I just rely on like my ceiling lights and maybe the sun coming in if it's during the day. Poor audio quality. You know, just one man person. Poor editing. You know, where like they, every sentence is edited <laughs> to cut every every word of a sentence. So they can't even get like through more than like one word before without having to like cut and like string it all together and post but that could be seen as like a powerful source of information because it's done like that it's it seems more raw it seems more real and that's like i said that's where truthiness comes in it's something that feels true if you look at QAnon conspiracy it's like why would someone believe anything anyone posts on fucking 4chan or 8chan or whatever chan 
website or message board it comes from. It's crazy. It's gone from something small like that to kind of mainstream appeal. But because it looks like it's from an outsider and reaffirms beliefs that people already hold, that's more important than actual facts. Because if you look at the actual facts of something like QAnon, of what they're posting about, like that doesn't make any sense. Brief rundown of like QAnon, even I don't understand it 100%. I'm not really invested in it because it's dumb in my opinion. It's basically that Trump is trying to take down some kind of pedophile ring that exists in like Washington politics mostly with like the Democrats. And I'm like, that just sounds so freaking ridiculous. Now, is there powerful people that could be involved in stuff like that? Sure. I'm sure that exists no matter where in the world because they're powerful people. Who's going to really stop them from doing bad things if they really want to. But if you think someone like Trump is trying to stop that, like what have you, have you not listened to a single word that this man has said? There is nothing that he has ever done that would indicate he would be interested in stopping anything. The only thing he's interested in is his own self. That's it. So he's not helping anyone else unless it benefits him in some way. So this is also illustrated by like someone like Donald Trump with his handling, uh, his administration's handling of the coronavirus pandemic that's going on in the U.S. I'm talking about specifically, but across the globe, right? It's a global phenomenon that's happening right now. But in the U.S., like nothing, at least on the federal level, is being done. He's out there basically saying, hey, don't worry about it. Like back in uh, March and April, the word was, oh, it's not a big deal. There's like two cases. It's going to go down to zero. By the time the warm weather rolls around, it's going to disappear, right? It's just going to take care of itself. It's literally sticking your head in the sand and hoping all the problems go away. Now, as a private citizen in your own life, if you want to do that, okay, that's up to you. But when you're someone that has the responsibility of a president who's supposed to take care of the country, run the country, Theoretically, is what government's supposed to do. Look after the population, basically. The response is, well, we don't want to deal with it. We're just going to pretend like everything's good. We need to have businesses open. We need everything running as normal. And it's like I've said in, in a previous episode about the coronavirus, this is not something where you can just stick your head in the sand about. It's not something you can argue a, your way out of. Because the virus does not care about your politics. It doesn't care about your schemes doesn't care about your ideologies, doesn't care about any of that shit. It has no knowledge of any of that. All it wants to do is propagate itself. That's it. And the way it does that is by humans coming into close contact with one another through airborne particles so that they can infect other humans and keep the process going. So the one way to not necessarily stop it completely until there's like a vaccine or some kind of treatment that is found in the meantime is to kind of like stay away from other people, which is why, like I said at the beginning of this episode, the reason why things are being done separately is so that we are not, the people who are involved in this podcast, just as a tiny example, are not, you know, gathering together to increase transmission of something like this virus and it's something we should be doing in all aspects of life for the time being and i know it sucks and that's why you have anti-mask people who are like oh i don't want to wear a mask because it infringes upon my freedoms and it's like on one level yes i understand you don't want to wear a mask i don't agree with the whole infringes on my freedoms part but i understand not wanting to wear a mask i personally do not want to wear a mask but I will wear one because at the same time, I don't want to get sick, nor do I want to infect others. If in fact I were to catch it and not show any symptoms or show mild symptoms, right? 
because that's the other problem with this virus is that it takes a while to know that you're sick. It can take up to two weeks before showing symptoms. And if you show symptoms, they could be mild. So you could think it's something else. You could easily get confused with something else. So you might just think, oh, I just have the cold, especially now where it's getting, uh, you know, into flu season, right? Beginning of, uh, well, almost beginning of winter, fall, winter time, you know, or people have seasonal allergies. So you might think, oh, it's related to that. It's like, oh, I actually had coronavirus the whole time. It's like, it would be much better if, if it was something that was short and quick. So like, as, as, as soon as you were exposed to it, it's like you get it like the next day or the day after, not like two weeks later. Because in two weeks, you could go all over and talk to many people if nothing is put in place. And you can, and it's like I said, it's highly contagious. So you could be exposing two to three people in a given area, three, four people in a given area. So uh, over two weeks, how many groups of people are you coming to contact with? So it can really multiply very quickly and get out of hand very quickly. And as we've seen in the U.S., since the beginning, there's been nothing put in place to try and prevent things, try to keep things to a minimum in terms of how many people are getting infected, right? Because other things that are involved in this in terms of like supplies and treatments and hospital rooms and medication needed, but nothing's being done. And you, and you still have people supporting Trump because they want to go with what they believe, which is that Trump is some kind of like political outsider who's going to like bring about, bring about change or he's going to be, or he's going to tell it like it is because he's not like a career politician. And it's like, no, he might be blunt, but that's not telling it like it is, right? He wants to go with his gut feeling, which is, hey, if I say it's going to be fine, it's going to be fine. I don't have any reason why I should say it's going to be fine, but I feel like it's going to be fine. I feel like it's going to sort itself out. And you have other people that say that kind of stuff, too, who are influential. They don't necessarily have uh, an elected office that they hold. But, you know, if you have enough money, you can get a platform. And if you have enough money and a platform, people will listen to what you have to say. Not always. You don't always need those things, but increases your chances, I'd say. Like Elon Musk, he's saying like the same kind of stuff back in March and April, saying, oh, it's going to like go away, basically. He has no reason to say that. No one has any reason to believe him when he says that, but people will believe it because it feels like, because people want it to be that way. Right? So it feels like, oh, yeah, it should go. should go away. Elon Musk, he's someone smart. He knows. He knows people. He's rich. He knows people. He's got to know. So it makes sense that he would say something like that because he knows people. He's got to know people, right? But no, because someone like him doesn't really give a shit. He just wants to make money, right? Like if you look at Tesla, their factories in California and didn't want to obey like the the shutdown orders at the beginning of the pandemic because we got to make those cars. We got to pump out Teslas. That's more important. So of course he's going to say stuff like, oh yeah, it's going to be over. Don't worry about it. It's all good because, hey, I need people to come into my factories and, and work and make the things that make me rich. So what we end up with, like, I, you know, like coming back to the idea of, of truthiness, is that does the truth end up mattering at all in like our public discourses, in our news that we get? And the answer to me increasingly is no, it doesn't really matter. Not that I don't believe that the truth matters. I just think in general, in our current society, it's not that important. So on a societal level, we do not value it. We do not value what is true. So what are actual facts? What we value is the feeling of being right. Or, and when I say right, I just mean feeling certain and the beliefs that we already hold. So we like to reaffirm what we already believe to be true, which has nothing to do with the truth, capital T, 
which in itself can be a difficult thing to define. But I would say majority of people are concerned with verifiable facts, verifiable knowledge based on, you know, current understandings. You'll have a lot of people who will push, oh yeah, I believe in science and stuff, but then they'll believe in whatever stupid thing that aligns with their political ideologies or whatever. And it doesn't really matter what the facts say or what the science quote unquote says. If it reaffirms my beliefs, then yes, I believe the science. If it doesn't reaffirm my beliefs, then I don't know what science you're talking about. And you see it all the time in all sorts of areas of life. Let's look at another example. So I think this might've been last year. Time has been on a different scale. Uh, <laughs> in 2020, so you'll have to forgive me if I don't remember exactly when this took place, but I believe it was last November, so almost about a year ago, probably by the time that this will be published. It will have been about a year, close to. In Canada, we have uh, every Saturday during the NHL season, we have Hockey Night in Canada, which is just a hockey program that would air on CBC. I think it still airs on CBC, but they would show, you know, a Saturday night hockey game. And at the intermission, after the first period, there'd be a segment called Coach's Corner. It had been going on since about, if I had to guess, the late 80s, mid 80s, possibly a bit earlier. With Ron McLean and Don Cherry. So Ron McLean, I believe, is like a journalist. And Don Cherry was a former NHL player and coach. Wow, did he actually play in the NHL? He was a hockey player. I can't remember if he played in the NHL or not. I know he spent a lot of time in the AHL. He was not a particularly prolific hockey player. He was a coach of the Boston Bruins after he ended his playing career. I don't know if he won a Stanley Cup. I can't remember when he was coach of the Bruins, if they won, I think they lost. I think they made it to the Stanley Cup Finals, but I feel like they lost against the Philadelphia Flyers. Anyways, someone... Okay, so Don Cherry, he is a controversial figure, to say the least. He is someone who is outspoken on a number of issues, regardless of whether or not he is knowledgeable on these issues. He'll have an opinion. He's a strongly opinionated guy, and he's not afraid to speak his voice. Now, normally, maybe... There's nothing wrong with that, but some of the things he has said over the years have, you know, irked some people. I remember when I was younger, uh, he got into trouble for saying, well, okay, so I guess I should back up a little bit here. He's someone who is uh, very much for fighting in the game of hockey, and he is someone who strongly supports mostly Canadian players playing in the NHL. So you have to realize is pretty much throughout the inception of the NHL up until about, I want to say late 70s, early 80s, players were mostly Canadian. You did have some American ones, but I'd say the majority were Canadian born. Now you did have teams in the U.S. For the most part, it was mainly in the U.S., like majority of the teams, but the players themselves were mostly Canadian. Even now, I want to say majority of players are Canadian on most teams and I think overall now you do have an increasing amount of Americans but I believe starting in the 70s we start to see uh, an influx of European players and especially after the fall of the USSR you get a lot of Russian born players who start to come over and play in North America which is fine I have no issue with that but someone like Don Cherry who uh, was or is a proud Canadian, always championed having Canadian players. So he would be harsh on, well, French-Canadian players. Oh, I should say when I say Canadian, he, he was 
mainly uh, a strong proponent of English-speaking Canadians. So he was kind of against, or more critical, I should say, of French-Canadian players and uh, European players. So like in the 90s, I believe he said that French and, uh, sorry, French-Canadian and European players were more soft compared to like tough English-Canadian-speaking players because they wore visors more. So now I think it's mandatory for all players to wear visors. Because uh, in hockey, safety equipment around the head has been slow to, uh, you know, to adapt to. For a long time, you don't have to wear helmets. But I would say the game was different. I would say it's slower. The types of athletes that played hockey back in like the 40s, 50s, 60s, it's like, yes, you did have a puck that could be hit pretty hard, but most people did not lift the puck. Uh, you didn't really have a curved stick until, like, like I said, I think around, like, late 60s. So, I mean, the game was different. So people didn't move as fast. and You didn't necessarily hit as hard as now. Equipment was different. That's another thing, too, you got to take into consideration. So it was a little bit different, but still. So when they introduced helmets, mandatory, there was a grandfather rule. So people who, uh, before a certain year, didn't have to wear a helmet if they don't want to. And it lasted that way until, like, you know, those last players retired and then everyone had to wear helmets. And I think we're at that stage now for visors. But at the time, you know, he was critical uh, of, uh, you know, non-Canadians or non-English-speaking Canadians wearing wearing visors. Like, like I said, he said they were, like, soft or were more critical of them. That's just one example. There's plenty, plenty of other things. But more recently on Remembrance Day or near Remembrance Day, which is marks the end of uh, the First World War, and someone like Don Cherry is a huge, uh, like I said, patriot, a nationalist, if you want, whichever, whichever terminology you'd like to use, and someone who strongly supports the Canadian Army. And being as such, on a day like Remembrance Day is obviously a huge day of importance for people in the military in general. I'm not going to get into the history of World War I, but it makes sense. So he would rant sometimes during uh, Coach's Corner about non hockey related things and talk about certain social issues but always to be critical of like other groups of people generally so in this instance he was complaining that not enough people are wearing a poppy and that's something i could you know understand because it was close to uh, november 11th and in canada and i know in the uk i don't think they do this too much in the u.s but you are supposed to Wear a poppy to remark the remembrance of the fallen soldiers in World War One, but in any war, I guess, anyone who served in the military. And to honor them and thank them. Now, I'm not going to get into my criticisms of the military in general, but it's becoming less and less, I don't want to say fashionable, but uh, people are wearing poppies less and less. Now, uh, you have people who, because usually when you, when you get a poppy, you donate money to raise money for veterans and so on and so forth. So it doesn't necessarily mean that less people are donating money to that kind of cause, but you may not necessarily wear the poppy. It's up to you. To me, it's a personal choice. If you want to wear a poppy, fine. If you don't want to wear a poppy, it doesn't mean you're against the military. It doesn't mean you're against those that had to make sacrifices, right? Like, I wouldn't read into it one way or the other, but he was complaining about that. And he said that immigrants to Canada are more likely to not wear a poppy. And he said that I don't have the direct quote, but he says, like, you people, like, don't realize how good you've got it. And you think everything's all, you know, good and fine and dandy, but you don't, you don't want to pay respect to the people that provided you 
with the comforts that you have now, referring to, you know, the soldiers that have lost their lives, not necessarily from the First World War, but from, you know, armed military conflicts since then. And he got a lot of flack for it. And rightly so. I believe he deserved to be criticized for that by saying that stuff. But the reason why I bring this up, because it comes into truthiness. So for him and a lot of people that felt that, because a lot of people were upset that he was let go, because, yeah, spoilers, yeah, he was let go by Rogers, because by this point the NHL had signed an exclusive licensing deal with Rogers to broadcast NHL games. So, okay, we'll get that out of the way. So he was let go, because they were like, nah, we're just not going to deal with this anymore. Boom, you're gone. Because many times it looked like he was going to get fired and he never did. So Rogers was finally like, okay, we have, uh, we've had enough. Uh, no, you're gone. And then, of course, you have all these people coming out of the woodwork talking about free speech and people being censored and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, no, you're not being censored. This wasn't the government coming after you saying, oh, you can't say this. This was you know, Rogers saying we don't want to deal with this shit. So you're gone. But if someone like Don Cherry wants to talk, he's not censored. He can probably have a show or some, something, some kind of platform, and someone will, will, will take him if that's what he wants to do. But again, it came down to this idea that, like, oh, immigrants don't care. They don't want to respect the sacrifices that our soldiers have made in World War I, World War II, whatever other armed conflict you want to bring into it. Because if you think that people who fought in the First World War, Second World War, whatever, were just, like, people from, from Canada, it's like, no. No, that's not right, right? This is where, like, what you believe to be true comes in while ignoring the facts. Because a lot of people came out and said, what the, what are you talking about, man? People from all different backgrounds bringing up the fact that, yeah, my grandfather or great-grandfather or whoever from, you know, India, they fought, you know, from these other countries. Oh, we fought. People from diff- different nationalities. They could serve in, in the... Canadian army they could have served or they could have served in like some other former British colonies army. So who are, who are you to say that, you know, anyone who's not Canadian in terms of like a newly made immigrants didn't, didn't sacrifice or don't know what it means to like have to fight in, in the first world war, second world war. That's where you're not going with the facts. Cause you could look this information up and realize, Oh yeah, a lot of people who are immigrants from developing nations. Oh, they did participate in armed conflict. Because like I said, part of the responses to it in terms of like rebuttals to what he said was like people from different backgrounds, different ethnic backgrounds saying, yeah, look, here's my, mil- my family's military history. Here's where, you know, this ancestor of mine fought during this war for Britain if they were like a former colony or something. Right. So like, how, who, who are you to determine that like, oh, non-immigrant uh, Canadians, even though everyone's an immigrant here in Canada, but non-white immigrants. They, they didn't sacrifice anything, right? It's just like, that doesn't line up with the facts. You're going with what you believe to be true. You just think anyone who is non-white, they didn't fight in World War I or World War II. As we all know, it was only white people that exclusively fought in that conflict. And this comes back to the idea of truthiness. So you want to feel that certain groups of people were not involved. So in more recent things, you, you, you see this idea of truthiness. You see it with like the Black Lives Matter protests that have resurged this year during the unjustified killings of several black people. I'm not going to name them all. But if you've been paying attention, you know you know who they are. The biggest one being George Floyd. But there have been several people this year 
these are the ones that are just carried in the news. I'm sure there's other people that have probably been killed that have gotten no uh, media attention. But you see the response to that by some others by feeling like people who protest are asking for too much. Because to them, it feels like they're complaining about nothing, even though that doesn't make sense if you think about it. But that's the problem. It's like a lot of this is not about thinking. It's about whatever your gut feeling is or whatever your gut reaction is or whatever your impressions are. And you see it in the response of the state to to protest. So when people go to protest Black Lives Matter peacefully, for the most part, huge armed military presence. Right? They get cast as people who are like the protesters as are people who are trying to cause trouble and incite violence and all that stuff. But it's really the police that are that are doing so because they come with all this anti-riot gear and uh you know rubber bullets and smoke bombs and tear gas and water cannons it's like well what do you expect the response to be when you come armed to fight like that but when people go to protest anti-mask stuff and this is just about not wearing a mask to help people not die from the coronavirus the response to to those protests is oh, okay well there's not much we can really do about it and we'll just let them storm into government buildings with guns and rifles and all that but hey what can we do they gotta write the protest no big deal but unarmed peaceful protests against the brutalization by agents of the state and extrajudicial killings of 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 black people by the state then we got to get the full force out there because who knows what violent leftists are going to do when they say hey can you stop killing people maybe but when people are asked to, hey, can you just put on a mask so that we don't spread this deadly virus that's going around? And the response is, no, we're going to protest that. And 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 the, the same police are like, oh, well, got to let them protest. Nothing, nothing we can do. Right. So where are the facts there? Like, it's very, if you clearly think about it, you understand why people are protesting in terms of like Black Lives Matter. Right. You have the counter protests of All Lives Matter or Blue Lives Matter. And that's not a response to anything logical. It's not a response to thought. Because if you understand what the Black Lives Matters protests are about, they're about saying, hey, stop killing blacks in the street by like police officers, by agents of the state. The All Lives Matter, Blue Lives Matter, that's not any logical response, any criticism, logical criticism of anything done by Black Lives Matter or quote-unquote Antifa. Is basically saying, oh, well, you want to go protest lives? We're going to go out and counter-protest lives and say all lives matter then it becomes an emotional response it's not a logical one because you don't have a logical argument people are saying hey can can you stop killing you know unarmed blacks and the response is well everyone's life is important so you know and it's like that's not that's not logical you should also be there if you're gonna go out there and scream that all lives matter you should be protesting black lives matter like supporting it so there's a disconnect there because it's not about whatever logic or fact is out there it's about my emotional response to seeing this with being confronted with the idea that hey maybe i'm supporting a racist state or a racist state of affairs in which it is permissible for police to kill unarmed black in cold blood so all this that's going on like i said has made me increasingly believe that no one really cares about the facts which is why I believe that a word like truthiness is so relevant to today's world increasingly. Because this is also true with like the rise in all these conspiracy theories. Like I talked about QAnon a little bit ago, but there's other things that like you wouldn't think would be a viable conspiracy theory in this day and age. Something like flat earth conspiracy theorists. Like who honestly believes the earth is flat? Like why would you think the earth is flat? It can't be based on actual facts because... 
people have known for a very long time now that, that the Earth is round. I forget the exact shape of the Earth. It's not a sphere. Something else. But it is round. So why would people now, or more recently, believe that the Earth is flat? And I'm, people, I'm sure, all throughout history have believed that the Earth is flat. Like, I understand that. But it has had a resurgence in terms of its popularity to the point where you have someone like Kyrie Irving saying that the Earth is flat. And it just doesn't hold up. So if you actually believed in fact, you wouldn't think that the Earth is flat. Because this is stuff you can look up and it's verifiable. But oh no, in my convoluted plan where the world is flat, all that's a huge conspiracy to make you believe the Earth is round for some unknown reason. That's the thing you have to realize with these like conspiracies or whether it's vaccines like I had also previously mentioned is like there's some conspiracy as to why but it never makes sense. So if you really think about it like what's the advantage of having a flat earth but then convincing everyone that it's round or the coronavirus Some people think that it's made up to sell you drugs. Now I understand that drunk companies make huge profits off the drugs that they sell. That's something that is verifiable. And like if you look at the price of EpiPens they've shot up. Uh, over the years, but if you're going to take something like the coronavirus, where's the where's the the uh, vaccine for that, right? Who's making money off of it? I mean, yes, there's money being poured into research and developing one, but why would you create a virus to do that? Companies already make millions or billions of dollars on the drugs they already sell. How does this benefit them? Oh well, they can sell more vaccines and make more money. I'm like, yeah, that's true, but. Starting a pandemic that basically has kind of had a huge negative effect on the economy in general, like, and where lots of people put out of work where you can't buy these expensive drugs anymore. How is that beneficial? What? I lost my health insurance and now I can't buy these overly priced drugs now because I can't afford it out of pocket because I lost my job and I lost my insurance. How does that benefit these companies now? All these people out of work without insurance can't afford their drug, right? And it's like, same with a flat earth. How does that benefit anyone? Why is the earth flat? What? Like, like if you think about it, it doesn't make any sense. What's the benefit? I don't understand. But for some people, it's like accepting these things as fact is, is too simple. There has to be more to it. This is where the gut feeling comes back into it again. It's like, I feel like it is. That's the only real argument I've ever heard from any of these conspiracy videos that I may watch. Or arguments that I may hear. It's like, I kind of feel like it this has to be, there has to be more to it. It can't be that simple. So how do we, how do we solve this problem? Because before, I guess the conventional thinking would be, oh, we just need more information. We need to educate people more. But I'm like, people are educated. You can go out and find the, the, the answers to all these questions. There's no reason really to believe that the earth is flat. Oh, there's no reason to believe that 5G cell towers are causing coronavirus. Like, so I don't know. I don't know how to solve this problem. How do you how do you stop people from feeling a certain way? Like I don't know. There's no there's no easy answer. You can't tell people directly what to do. Not in a free and open society. So that's a question I leave to you. I don't know. You have to do your own research. And you have to question what you believe and why you believe it. That's the only thing I can really tell you. Because there's no easy answer for all this. Like I said, in terms of how do you get people to actually question what they believe, but question in an honest way. Because like I said, a lot of time people say, oh, I only believe in ideas that I've already confirmed in my head. Like that doesn't, that's not helpful to anything. You have to be willing to change or, or accept that maybe you're wrong on a certain subject or a certain notion or perception. So like I said, I'll leave that to you. That's for something you got to decide that you want to do or not. We'll end it there. Thank you for listening. I have been your podcast person, Pavlo, also known as JPav, also known as Pav, also known as Pavi. And one more time, our non-legal legal disclaimer is that the opinions I've expressed 
or that others may have expressed are just that, our opinions. I'm not saying that what we say is the ultimate truth or that we have the only correct opinion. You can agree, you can disagree with everything I've said. You can be someone who believes that the earth is flat. But I would question you as to why you believe that, if that's the case. Everyone, please stay safe. Again, thank you for listening. Peace.